Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 119 of X-Lapsed, and uh, we are rapidly approaching the midway point of our X of Tens crossover event, and today's Excalibur Day. So, uh, how long before I say it feels like I missed an issue? Uh, Maybe not so much this time. Maybe not so much this time, since we are continuing... I guess, in theory, we're continuing straight from... uh, Whatever issue we just finished with Cable, I think. Uh, So, does that mean we're in for some smooth sailing here? Well, let's find out. This is Excalibur, Volume 4, Number 13, which had a December 2020 cover date. The story is X of Swords, Chapter 09. Written by Teeny Howard, with art by R.B. Silva. Colors Nolan Wooded. Letters VCs Ariana Marr. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, and this one went on sale October 21st of 2020. Now we immediately open with our roll call, and uh, we are going to be focusing on Betsy Britton, Betsy's beautiful brother Brian, that weirdo Jamie Braddock, and uh, Saturnine. Double page spread of creds, then we open at the Starlight Citadel, where Saturnine and Betsy Britton await the arrival of the other Braddocks, Beautiful Brian and that weirdo Jamie. Now, the brothers, they arrive on Griffinback, which is pretty neat. Um, gotta start by mentioning just how beautiful this issue looks, like right out of the gate here. Uh, it's really, really wonderful stuff. And I mean, our usual artist on Excalibur, Marcus Toe, he ain't no slouch by any stretch, but oof, this Silver stuff is, I mean, it's on another level here. Uh, speaking of neat, Uh, It looks like Jamie is wearing Mr. Sinister's cape, which is a nice touch of continuity and uh, almost makes me think that, uh, hey, you know, maybe there are editors involved here. I don't know. Now, Brian, he's here to hand Betsy the Sword of Might. Now, the whole first arc of this volume of Excalibur had to do with Brian choosing that over the Amulet of Right. Now, those, of course, are the trinkets that a Merlin or a Roma would ask a captain to choose upon getting the role and entering into the Captain Britain Corps. Now, as recently, Brian was under the was under the uh, spell of Morgan Le Fay. He chose the sword, which only left the amulet, and that's what Betsy took. You know, Betsy didn't get a choice, and we're going to actually talk a little bit about that as we go along here, but she's got the amulet around her neck. Captain Britain, or Brian, I guess, he's got the sword. It is in his scabbard, though, because he doesn't want to draw it, because, uh... Well, we'll get there. Uh, It's worth noting that the first arc of this volume of Excalibur ended with Brian asking Betsy to bury the blade, I think, at the lighthouse. So quite how he's got it now to hand over, I'm not too sure, and it's, uh, it's not going to be explained. Now, Betsy doesn't want the blade, and she tells Brian to, uh, go ahead and stick it in the sigil. 
you know, like the other champions of the sword do to end their chapters. Brian tells Betsy that the sword was named in Polaris's prophecy, and so were they. Lorna said something about twins, or, or two children in the same mother's womb, or something like that. Betsy stomps away, Brian follows, but this discussion must continue. Betsy reminds Brian that she only took the Captain Britain role as a favor to him, which I'm not sure I totally remember, but I'll take her word for it. Maybe this happened in one of the half-dozen issues of Excalibur I swear we never actually got. Saturnine interrupts to declare that it's time for tea, and that uh, weirdo Jamie Braddock talks a little bit about sniffing pillows. Hey, whatever floats your boat. Info page. The Sword of Might, which uh, is apparently from Galador. Uh, I thought Cable's Light of Galador was from Galador, hence the name Light of Galador. Are the Space Knights part of the Captain Britain Corps in the other world now, too? Or is probably just a typo. So I guess take back whatever I said about editors a few minutes ago. They're, they're really not paying attention. Now, Saturnine brings the Braddocks to the Captain Britain Corps Memorial Garden made to honor those fallen, especially after the incursion that caused much of the multiverse to go away. Are we, are we referencing Secret Wars on my show? Are we doing that, really? Eh. Anyway, Brian breaks off with a very cliche, what is this place? Which makes me ask, can we please stop using that line in comics? Or can we just stop using that line in all of media? What is this place? Eh. Too much. Saturnine laments the fact that there is no more core. Betsy reminds her of that weird Excalibur-flavored core from Jamie's Weird World a few issues ago, and Opal Luna calls them heretical and says they've been dealt with. After all, to truly be a member of the core, you need to choose a sword or the amulet. Betsy reminds Saturnine that she herself never made that choice, which Saturnine kind of uses to prove her point. Uh, Saturnine, it's worth noting, really looks like and acts like Emma Frost here, and... uh, She's about to contradict herself here with this amulet sword thing, but, uh, whatever. Betsy then reminds Saturnine that they got this big old contest of champions coming up, and they still, they still need to track down the Starlight Sword. They haven't even tried looking for that one yet. Then, we follow Betsy and Brian outside where they, uh, where it looks like they're about to duel. Betsy's basically trying to taunt Brian into unsheathing the Sword of Might. Now, the last time he drew the thing, he transformed into a twisted version of Captain Britain, so his reluctance here is moderately understandable. Betsy, undeterred, keeps swiping and swiping with her psychic blade. Brian is steadfast in his refusal to unsheath. Instead, he he starts taunting back at her for being a tomboy, for refusing to take the Sword of Might herself. And I tell you, it'd be far more engaging if I could summon even an ounce of enthusiasm for this otherworldly stuff. Now, we jump ahead to nighttime, and we shift scenes over to that weirdo Jamie Braddock's sleeping quarters. And he's awakened by the heretical Captain Britain Corps. You know, Rogue, Gambit, Richter, and Jubilee, all in, you know, clad in Union Jacks. Now, they sentence him to death, which is uh, kind of adorable, considering, you know, who they're threatening. Info page, everything you didn't know you wanted to know about the Captain Britain Corps. Again, I can't summon the energy to read a Captain Britain Wikipedia article. I'm sure I probably found much of this quite fascinating when I when the it was the Allens, you know, crafting the story, Moran Davis. But I just can't with this info dump. Uh-huh. Now back to comics, and we're back to the Braddocks here. Now Betsy and Brian hear Jamie crying for help, and so they rush to his quarters. 
Brian once again asks that Betsy take the Sword of Might, but she claims as not, you know, not to need it as she summons up her Psy Sword. Now in Jamie's room, despite crying for help, he's pretty much got everything under control here. The rogue captains are all kind of just strung up in reality warp tendrils or something. Now Jamie decides to send a message by killing Captain Jubilee, which enrages the rest of the heretics, as uh, you might imagine. The Braddock trio goes to flee from this suddenly featureless dormitory. I mean, the backgrounds just stop being a thing. Now, Captain Gambit, he hurls a charged card in Brian's direction, right? Now, Brian blocks it with the Sword of Might still in its scabbard, only this charged card winds up burning the scabbard away, which, which means Brian, whether he wanted to or not, now wields the Sword of Might. And Brian transforms into, like, a whole new form of Captain Britain here. Captain Avalon, actually. Uh, that weirdo Jamie Braddock's own personal captain. Now, Brian's totally cool with this, despite the fact that, like, three panels ago, Jamie killed Jubilee. Eh, a little weird. Um, now, Brian's in a new costume here, and he must be that bucket-headed character from the Ten of Swords card in X of Swords creation, which is the one that I was sort of kind of hoping was going to be revealed as Major X. Oh well, uh, there's a, a missed opportunity if ever there was one. Saturnine shows up, and as usual, she's displeased. She noinks the amulet from around Betsy's neck, and it shatters. Betsy is arrested by the priestesses for reasons. Now, Saturnine comments that the amulet is no longer needed, as Roma and Merlin aren't part of the Captain Britain recruitment team anymore, so the choice between the bauble and the blade is immaterial, despite the fact that just a few pages ago, Saturnine said that that's what makes a captain. I don't know. Uh, she then turns to Captain Avalon, and, uh, well, she tries to seduce him, as, you know, we knew she would do, because she's, well, she's got it bad. Later, we rejoin Betsy, and she's in a dungeon, or a tower. Um, it gets very confusing here, at least for me. Uh, she reaches out, and I think gets in psychic connection with the heretical Captain Britain Corps. Then, that weirdo Jamie Braddock interjects and tells Betsy to jump out a nearby window. So I'm guessing that she's actually locked up in a tower like Rapunzel or something, and uh, while R.B. Silva draws her with quite an impressive head of hair, she is no Rapunzel. So Betsy does the thing. She jumps out the window and... well, she lands on Jamie's griffin, and that's not a euphemism. We jump over to Saturnine's quarters and it's time for some foreplay in the form of Opal Luna pulling the Starlight Sword out of, uh, well, the Citadel itself. The blade is forged of the same material as the Citadel, which our next info page is quick to repeat. So uh, I guess we needed it. I don't know. So Brian and Opal Luna start making out. And Saturnine is so out to lunch, or so turned on, that she doesn't realize that she just left the Starlight Sword on the floor. Yeah, uh, Betsy and Jamie show up and, you know, Swipe the sword. So Betsy is now the champion of the Starlight Sword. Brian reveals to Saturnine that this was all a ruse the entire time. And the Braddocks leave. We wrap up with the twins taking their places at the X of Swords action figure display and playset. And now we've got seven out of ten champions all ready to go. That's where we leave it. Next episode, we approach the end of the first half of X of Tens with the last of the Dawn of X Wave 1 number 13s. It's X-Men number 13, and from the cover, I'm guessing that uh, Apocalypse is going to get his sword here. After that, we hit Stasis, but that's a discussion for another day. Let's talk about this issue. 
Which wasn't bad at all. Wasn't bad at all. But I gotta say, I am beyond tired of this other world stuff. I mean, I, I get it. I'm kind of barking up the wrong tree here, considering what the next dozen issues are going to be about. But, guys, I, I, I can't remember ever reading a comic book before where the setting was quite this played out. It's just too damn much. I, I mean, it's been a year and a half of Otherworld stories uh, right to this point. It's just way too much. And I hope that once we're at the other end of Exoswords that... God, hopefully we're not in Otherworld anymore. Hopefully we put this concept to bed for a bit. I mean, even even an Excalibur. Let's just stay out of Otherworld for a little bit. It's it's played out. And I feel like it is, it's actually hurting the story here because the story that they're telling in Exoswords is... I mean, it's not... It's not, you know, bulletproof genius level like, uh, like some might have you believe, but... It's not bad. It's pretty good stuff. It's just the fact that it's all this other world stuff that I don't care about. And again, these are these are Chris problems probably, but we really need a change of setting. We really, really need a change of setting. Um, let's talk a little bit about the Braddock twins here. Um, this whole thing was a ruse, right? This whole thing was a setup. This whole thing was to get Saturnine to. Let her guard down long enough so they can get both the swords here. So they were in on it together the entire time. And here's the thing. I think that was supposed to be obvious to us as we were reading this. Which, in any other era, I, I think we might have a... There might be a leg to stand on there. It's just that in the, in the recent times, um, characterization is all over the place. Editorially, I mean, a character is what the story needs them to be. We don't worry about established characters anymore, it seems. Uh, so, Betsy acting petulant and Brian acting like a brat, that might have just been the way that they are portrayed here. I mean, everything is just so slipshod that, even though this is obviously supposed to be a ruse because they told us this was all a game to get these swords... I, you know, even going back and flipping through it a second time, I don't see it. It just feels like the characters are being written out of character like they have been about half the time. So uh, maybe we need to, you know, work with established characterization. If we want to slip one past the goalie uh, and make us question, like, wow, why are they acting like that? Because, frankly, we ask why characters are acting a certain way every single issue. And we just assume that it's part of a bigger plan. So I think the entire angle of this issue failed. It really didn't work because of how out of character characters like Betsy, Brian, and even that weirdo Jamie Braddock have been. It's hard for us to look at this and take on face value. It's like, oh, wait, they're acting weird. I wonder if there's a reason why they're acting weird. No, we're just looking at it like, okay, well, I guess this is their character today because... Uh, so much for stability, so much for uh, things being consistent, right? Um, I don't know. Um, Saturnine, let's talk Saturnine. Uh, she claims that you need to pick the sword or the amulet to be considered a Captain Britain. And then we end the issue with her saying that that's not a, we don't need that anymore. Even though she used that as a way to taunt Betsy, or to question Betsy's legitimacy as a Captain Britain. Due to the fact that she never had to make the choice, she's like, well, yeah, that you're not a real captain then. And three pages later, she's like, well, you don't need to do that anymore. That's 
kind of weird. Um, I still haven't the foggiest idea what they're doing with these heretical Captain Britain Corps. The, uh, you know, the, the Gambit, the Rogue, Richter, and Jubilee. What's the point of them? And if you were, uh, if you were coming into Exosword's cult... I mean, I couldn't even imagine somebody coming into this cold because it's just, it's, you know, uh, wheels within wheels within wheels of just weirdness. And I couldn't imagine somebody coming in and being like, oh, yeah, I get this. I know what this is all about. I mean, we could take things at face value and just be like, yeah, these are characters that Jamie whipped up. But what's the point? I don't understand the point. Are they good or are they bad? Are they real or are they fake? I mean, Jamie killed one, but then when Sila or when Betsy is in the in the uh, tower, she's kind of making a connection with them, and they're I, it feels like they're saying they're going to save her. Very very bizarre. Um, I, I, just, I you know it's one of those things where it's like, do I want the answer, do I, or do I just want them to go away? And I think in this case, this is another situation where I just want them to go away. I'm fine not getting an answer. Just I never want to see these characters again. What else, what else, what else? Uh, the art, phenomenal. Phenomenal. R.B. Silva just absolutely kills it here. It's a, it's a gorgeous book. Um, and this is usually a very, very pretty book. But like I said during the synopsis, this is like a whole nother level here. This is some phenomenal stuff here. I only wish I enjoyed the story a little bit more. And I didn't hate the story, but uh, I think I'm just burned out on... Uh, on the setting, I'm burned out on the setting. I don't care about the politics of the Starlight Citadel. I don't understand why Saturnine has this sword. She's got the Starlight Blade. She put this contest together. Is she trying to set the uh, you know the Krakoans up, or you know the heroes, I guess, up? Because Brian's not a Krakoan, but she's trying to set the heroes up for a forfeit. I mean. I don't know, what, what's the point of even putting together the contest then if she can control whether or not it even happens in the first place? I don't know. It feels very weird that they had to go this route to get the sword, but I guess they did. <laughs> they needed to kill an issue because we need 22 chapters of this. So that's that. At least we got two swords found this time. Uh, we've got, what, I think we've got three swords to go. We got Apocalypse. We got, uh, I think, Gorgon gets a sword, and then... Somebody else, I don't remember who. Magneto, maybe? Whatever it is, we got a we got a few more sigils to stand on before we're before we're ready to fight. But uh, that's all I got to say about this issue of Excalibur. Let's hop into the mailbag here. We only got a couple to go through, and uh, first we're going to talk to Damien, who's got stuff to say about the Free Comic Book Day issue and X of Swords creation. He says, "I'm going to deal with the Free Comic Book Day issue and creation as one beast." I'm not sure I entirely agree with you about the choice of pages for the FCBD issue. I can see some benefit to releasing something that's bizarre and intriguing and not fully explained. It's becoming more and more normal to see trailers that are confusing rather than clear. In many ways, it's the Marvel movies that have trained people to expect puzzle mysteries with their post credit scenes, so this could be viewed as appropriate for fans of the movies. Of course, I really don't like the movies because I'm always sat there wondering why they changed things and therefore taking myself out of the story. I often am my own worst enemy. I agree. I agree. I am the same way. I don't see the movies. That's one of my gimmicks. I don't see the Marvel movies. I don't see any comic book movies because... Well, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, first, just like you said here, I would be the guy who would... Uh, Ruin it for other people Because they'd be like, oh, they're so excited that this is the way the story goes And I'd be like, well, that's not the way it happened 
<laughs> and I would totally ruin it for them. And uh, not not intentionally. It's just, uh, you know, I would just... I'm kind of protective of our continuity and of our hobby and of uh, all the time and money and energy that we put into our hobby uh, to where when people can sit down for, I don't know, two hours and then they're suddenly experts on a subject that contradicts what we know and have known for decades, yeah, I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it much. And that takes me to my other reason why I'm not keen on these movies here because... As comic fans, and this is, I, I apologize if this gets into soapboxiness or just me being a curmudgeonly you know, dick, but we as comic fans accept other takes on our, on our beloved franchises and properties, right? That's, we've just come up that way. We understand that the comics are the real thing. And then, you know, when 1989, when there's a Batman movie, we accept it. You know, when there's a Batman animated series or an X-Men animated series, we accept it. We know it's not the real thing, but we accept it as having a right to exist and having a right to have a fandom. That's only a one-way street. Uh, For comics fans, and and, I mean, this is not intended to be a blanket, bulletproof blanket statement because, of course, there are exceptions to every rule. But as comic fans, we're used to going to the movies to watch a comic book-related movie or watching a television show or a cartoon And we just accept those as other takes on what we love. Like I said, it's a one-way street. Because there are people who go into the movies who will never, ever read a comic book. And will therefore dismiss or discount anything that happened in the comic books. They don't have to accept the comics as another piece of the puzzle. Whereas as comic fans, first, we're expected to. We're expected to accept things like whatever the hell a WandaVision is. We're supposed to accept the, you know, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. We're supposed to accept these things. But someone coming the other direction doesn't need to accept comics as being anything. And that gets under my skin quite a bit here. Um, and that brings me to uh, what you said here. Uh, if this is being written for people who like the movies, I just don't see that working. I don't see this working for people who like comic books, much less... People who don't care about comic books. I, I do I do agree with you. I think that's why they did this. I think this is following the Marvel movie model. But they're not transferable. They're not relatable here. I, I mean, as a... As working under the framework of the Marvel movies, I guess you could say it was successful because, you know, that's kind of what happens in the movies. But as something that would actually entice... Someone who wouldn't normally buy a comic book or wouldn't normally buy an X-Men comic book to come in and buy an X-Men comic book. I just don't see it working. I don't see it working at all. Uh, Damien continues. As for the story, I love the tarot element. Having predictions of the event in the first issue with analysis by the Hellion Tarot meant that I knew what a lot of, I knew what the cards could mean, even though I know next to nothing about tarot cards. I remember at the time searching out different interpretations of these predictions on different blogs and websites. I find it fascinating to see what other fans are thinking and to read all those theories. It made reading Exitens a shared experience. Sadly, this means that on a reread, I can't remember whether my thoughts came from me, other fans, or just from having to read the entire crossover. Now, there's definitely something to be said for the shared experience here, and it's this is the second thing that I'm kind of kicking myself with since starting the show, because... You know, I missed out on the original Hoxpox, you know, discussions and the theories and the, you know, just people 
people punching their heads and trying to figure out what's going to happen here. What's this mean? I missed all that. I got to see all that way after the fact because I, I kept myself from it even as I was reading the stuff. So I had, to, I had to wait until I was done reading it to even think about you know getting some hot takes from other people just because I didn't want to spoil myself. And here we are with, uh, with X of Swords here, and it's the same thing. I, I could imagine that this was more exciting at the time. Uh, perhaps I'm doing it a pretty grand disservice looking at it after the fact, since, I mean, there isn't much excitement for it. I, I mean, trust me on that. <laughs> trust me on that. I, I've seen my numbers. There isn't much excitement for X of Swords here, but uh, I think had, uh, had I been able to strike when the iron was hot, it would have been... Uh, I think it would have been a whole different experience for, for all of us here, but alas, we, we can't do that. Damien continues, There are so many little touches in this issue that I loved. I feel like Hickman and Howard were putting all their time and effort into this, which might explain why recent issues of X-Men and Excalibur have been lacking. The scene with the Quiet Council discussing the external gate is a favorite. I love that Kitty is wearing gloves to hide her tattoos, and the fact that Krakoa can overrule the Council. Krakoa having an agenda is something I hadn't really considered, but it's such an obvious idea. I definitely appreciated the fact that Krakoa could overrule the council here. Um, it makes it feel like like Apocalypse knew exactly what he was doing, and, and he did. I mean, that was the whole point. He knew he didn't have to get the majority 7 out of 12 votes. He just had to make sure Krakoa was cool with what he was doing, and Krakoa saw the external gate as a gift, and so it stays. Damien continues, I also love that the team that goes into Krakoa is mainly comprised of people who hate Apocalypse. Many of them have very good reasons, and they know, then they have to save his life. How ironic. The horsemen attacking Apocalypse was not really a surprise, but I thought it was so well staged. Beautiful art and color, and emotionally true characterization. Perfect. I agree. I agree. I mean... We figured that there was going to be, you know, the worm was going to turn, right? The horsemen were probably not going to just accept Apocalypse and uh, into the fold with open arms here. I think we all saw the swerve coming here. But as you say, the way they did it, it was perfect. It was really well done. It, the, it, you felt it, you know, even though we knew it was coming. And so often when we know something's coming, it, it kind of ruins the, uh, you know, the ta-da. But here it worked. It worked really, really well. Um, and the fact that they did it like semi-cinematically where, you know, we had Phoenix and Nate or Prestige and Nate uh, in Banshee's mind around the same time here. And we're flashing back and forth to them seeing the betrayal that happened to Banshee and Eunice with the betrayal that was happening at, as, you know, as this was going on with Apocalypse and the Horsemen. Very, very well done. Very well done. Uh, Damien continues. The intervention of Saturnine and the interaction she has with the Krakoans is really interesting. We're reminded of how powerful she is, but are set up to see her as a foe to both sides. I love the idea of Monet considering taking Saturnine's job one day. I can see her being bored one day and deciding it's time to take over the universe, just because she thinks she'd be good at it. It's also wonderful to see Polaris and Havoc presented as Krakoan leaders. They've both refused leadership roles, and yet they seem destined to lead. Great point that I totally missed out on there was the fact that, uh, yeah, Havoc is kind of taking a back seat in Hellions, and uh, Polaris flat up refused to be uh, to be the leader of X Factor uh, when even when the Quiet Council assumed she would be, and she handed the reins over to Northstar, and uh, here they are. You know, they are in leadership roles in this uh, in this apocalyptic outing here. Damien continues. 
Obviously, at the time I read this issue, the death of Rockslide was irrelevant. I didn't see it as significant. Rereading it, I find myself more shocked. Knowing the revelation that death in Otherworld is real changes this story. Totally. Totally does. Um, because I saw it as just more of the same. And definitely a, you know, zig instead of zag moment here, because this seemed just like, okay, well, this is just the status quo now. <laughs> they're going to die. They're going to come back. They're going to die. They're going to come back. The revelation that we get in X Factor uh, number four changes that. And I would imagine uh, rereading this with that knowledge definitely changes it as well. Damien continues, I like the way the S.W.O.R.D. S-W-O-R-D plotline ran in and out of the issue. I have no particular feelings about S.W.O.R.D. as a concept, but it's cleverly set up here. I like the fact that the relationship between Scott, Gene, Nathan, and Rachel feels much more organic than it did in X-Men number one. They feel like a family. And that's true. That is true. Um, Scott has, he still has a little bit of that hammy sitcom dad in him, but not. it's not as uh, overt as it was in the earlier Dawn of X issues here, where it was just kind of, like, way too chuckle-headed and, uh, like, almost... Like, it almost evoked a sinister and uneasy feeling. And I, maybe it was supposed to, but uh, it didn't really work for me. But here, it worked a bit better. I still couldn't care less about S.W.O.R.D., though. Damien continues, Overall, I was impressed with this comic. I picked it up without having decided whether I was going to follow X attends, but with this issue, I decided to follow it. I very nearly dropped it after parts three and four, but I ended up loving it. Yeah, three and four were, uh, well, yeah, they were something else, weren't they? I'm sure we'll talk about them again in a few episodes. Uh, Damien continues, I genuinely think that Hickman and Howard work phenomenally well together. I think they have opposite strengths, so they bolster each other. The art is amazing. Pepe Larraz and Marty Gracia really excelled in this issue. They were amazing in House of X, but this is even better than that. They really are the heroes of X of Tens. In fact, I would give them a, an X out of X for the art. Uh, the story isn't quite as good, but it makes me want to read on. Of course, we know that the Hox Pox Docs era is better at a setup than delivery, so there is some trepidation. Anyway, until Saturnine changes her name to Saturn IX, make mine X lapsed. And yes, uh, this uh, was a gorgeous issue. Um, I mean, the art here is... They're, they're killing it with the art here. It's... Uh, it really, I mean, I, I've been repeating myself every time out here. It's The art is really something to behold in these books here. And, I mean, we've, I think we've got Mahmoud Azrar coming on to uh, Volume 5. I mean, we're in for some really, really pretty books here. And you're 100% dead on here. We're getting a lot of, uh, we've gotten a lot of setup in the Hox Pox Doc stuff, which is very intriguing. A lot of interesting ideas, even the high-concept ones that I usually turn my nose up at. But uh, it's all about the delivery. And uh, the delivery, the, the landings don't often stick. And uh, yeah, there is some trepidation about uh, the way this is going to go into its you know second half. I, I do wonder, because I've stayed, you know, purposely I've stayed away from... Uh, People talking about this series Because I don't want anything spoiled And I don't want anything to kind of temper My delivery here uh, Like, as I talk to you now I have not opened, you know uh, X-Men number 13, the next chapter Because I don't want to know anything I, I mean, I, even though that puts me at risk Of being completely wrong about things Or being completely right about things You know, I just don't want I don't want to fake it 
And so I, I am a little trepidatious because there are a lot of issues of this left, and I'm not convinced that even when this is done, we will probably still be dealing with other world crap. But uh, hopefully, uh, we'll come out of this, and I'll have, I'll have positive thoughts uh, on this. So far, I mean, we are what nine chapters in out of uh, twenty-two, and I'd say that I'm definitely veering more positive than negative. We started in neutral, and we've we've. The needle's gone both directions here, but I think, uh, cumulatively speaking, the nine chapters we read, I, I have a positive uh, reflection on them. So that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And I, I appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts on the first part of X of Swords, and I'm very excited that uh, I'm finally up to your feedback for the X of Swords issues. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, digging into those as we continue along. So thank you so much. Uh, next, we got Evan talking about another X of Swords issue, New Mutants number 13. He says, For all of us who mocked Cypher in the past, admit it, you did, New Mutants number 13 leaves no doubt that he belongs among the other heroes of the X-Men. Of course, he probably proved his mettle in the original series, but that remains on my one of these days reading lists. I really enjoyed the portrayals of all the characters in this issue. I did wonder at one point whether they were ignoring the somewhat ridiculous body language makes Cypher a fighter bit from Necrotia, or Necrotia X or X Necrotia, back in the day. But they even kept it without undermining the story they were telling. If we were doing X of Swords power rankings, this one would be near the top for me. So until Boom Boom changes her codename to Mohawk and scares Kitty Pride, make mine X lapsed. And yeah, we talked about that during the issue here. It feels like, um, if not ignoring, they're definitely underplaying the Doug Ramsey has uh, the ability to read body language uh, power. And I don't know... I, I mean, I have a few ideas as to why they might be doing that. First, they might not be familiar with it, <laughs> you know. Uh, second, they might figure that... Uh, I mean, the New Mutants volume that that came out of, that was New Mutants volume three, and uh, and I feel like that one really wasn't setting any worlds on fire. Um, certainly from a sales standpoint, I think New Mutants was the only book of the X-Men and Avengers family not to get wrangled into uh, AVX crossovers, which, I mean, Avengers Academy got those, Secret Avengers got those. It really speaks to... <laughs> You know, the pecking order here. I don't think anybody cared about New Mutants. So for all I know, uh, Marvel probably figures that only the most uh, fanatical of fans even know that that's a thing. And, uh, well, they've told us time and time again that uh, they, they really don't care what we think. So maybe they just figure that it wasn't important enough to bring up. Or maybe it's what they've got in mind as like the, the magic bullet. For Doug to win his fight with whoever he's fighting in the uh, contest of champions here, maybe it'll be like the the big revelation that uh, oh wait Doug can read body language and here we go. I really don't know because it it did seem like there was a mention of it, but it was definitely underplayed. Uh, but yeah, maybe it's like maybe it's like Chekhov's uh, body language analysis, where you know you mention it and it's going to be used later on in the story. So. I guess we'll find out, but uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on New Mutants number 13, and I'm happy, so happy that you're really, you know, you're right up to date with the show, so I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, thoughts in real time, uh, well, so to speak, relatively speaking, I should say. Uh, we're going to wrap up with uh, a short bit from uh, our friend Mark Radelich here uh, regarding my shocking Bill and Ted revelation during the Juggernaut uh, discussion. 
He says, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. We're going to wind up doing a podcast where I make you watch movies. So, uh, hey, you know, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Uh, we'll have to see where my head's at after uh, after these plates stop spinning over my head. We'll, we'll see how that goes, and maybe, maybe I'll finally wind up watching Bill and Ted. Maybe we'll talk about it on the air. But uh, thank you <laughs> for listening to the Juggernaut episode. Now, if anyone out there would like to talk about uh, the Juggernaut episode, the New Mutants episode, any episode or any little thing, you could get a hold of me quite easily. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. For just the X stuff, it's xlabs.chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. You can chat with us about whatever you want on Facebook. Our, our numbers have grown. Over this past week, I think we had four or five new members, which is awesome. Really, really cool. Thank you guys so much for signing on to our little Facebook group. It's 90s X-Men on Facebook, if anybody out there is interested in joining in on the conversation there. And you can listen to a whole bunch of comic book-related uh, podcasts and noise and all sorts of nonsense at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Well, that will do it for today. I want to thank you all so much for deciding to let me take part in your day. Maybe I kept you company while you were folding laundry. Maybe I kept you company while you were on your way to or from work. Whatever the case, it really, really means a lot to me. Thank you so much. And until next time, as always, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya. Oh